Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. My name is Gorsha Huchua, and I'm joined by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. How are things up in Oregon, Mr. McNamara? They are cold and rainy. It is most definitely winter time. So it's, but it's, it's nice though. You have seasons. LA has two seasons, daytime and nighttime. Um, <laughs> Um, but Oregon has four seasons and we've got to the, the cold, it gets dark very early, it rains all the time season, but there's a fire in the fireplace, the Christmas tree is twinkling, it's, it's lovely. Lovely indeed. Um, well, this is our weekly ad talk edition of the show and it's a format where you and I discuss news and events in the world of marketing and the world that is adjacent to marketing uh, that we found to be the most interesting. Uh, we invite you to send us your thoughts and questions via LinkedIn and Instagram, where there um, our hashtag is at hashtag. Our <laughs> count there is at 30 minutes CMO. Uh, we also now have a website. Check it out. It's www.30minutescmo.com. Uh, and now let's get on with today's show. Uh, Alex, you want to lead us off? Yeah. So big news. Um, and it's kind of what you had said uh, many episodes ago warner brothers is set to release 17 um all 17 of its 2021 movies in cinema and hbo max at the same time next year this is this is kind of not the the guillotine blow to the cinemas but certainly a kick in the nuts to get you doubled over ready for it um it's it's huge news. I think yeah. um, you know, I think Christopher Nolan said it was uh, pretty well. We used to work for one of the best studios, and now we work for one of the worst streaming services, which I thought was quite funny. But um, it's 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 big news. You know, Wonder Woman is coming out on Christmas Day in cinemas and at the same time um, on HBO Max. So. Who is going to go? No one's going to go to the cinema on Christmas Day. No one wants to go to the cinema right now, anyway, because of yeah. coronavirus. You know what else do they have to do? Like that, they, they had no other choice. They weren't going to follow the Disney Plus of, of charging people. So, you know, it's another way to get subscribers because they're lagging behind. But it's it's really not great for cinemas. No, it's not. Not, not, nothing this year has been great for cinemas. So uh, this is just piling on. Like you said, this is a this is a gut punch, and um, I feel like uh, the studios are they're starting to basically just pay attention to themselves. Uh, I think before it was probably more of an ecosystem, and there's been a massive land grab prior to this year, right, with all of the studio consolidations um, that we've been seeing. And now uh, they've been waiting this out and probably realized that it's going to be quite some time before people will feel comfortable yeah. going to the theater again. So what, what to do? Continue to save your new releases that you've spent hundreds of millions of dollars on for when those theaters are open? Or do you start leveraging your platforms? Um, and I think, to be honest, um, I can see their point. Um, you know, Netflix yeah. has been producing absolutely cinematic um, experiences uh, with some of their shows like The Queen's, um, the Queen's Gambit, for instance. Yeah, um, sure. And The Crown. And, you know, you're going to peel people away from, <laughs> from, from your product if you don't release it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an interesting one, though, because in order to have 
cinematic releases or cinema releases, you need cinemas. And in order to have cinemas, you need to put the content there so people go there to you know to pay ticket, pay ticket prices and and watch it. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how you know AMC were on the verge of bankruptcy. I think they may have got bailed out or in the process of getting bailed out. Um, but yeah, a lot of the cinemas are really struggling to to stay open. I thought they have pivoted pretty. I think they pivoted as hard as they could. It was cool to see that you could rent a cinema for 150 bucks, whole screen for 10 people. So you could bring you and your um, socially distanced close friends um, to watch a new release or a um, or an old movie. Um, it was 99 or 150 for you know old and new. I thought it was pretty cool. If I could rent a cinema for 150 bucks, I'd bring like four people that I live with, and and I'd probably go watch it. It'd be it'd be a great experience. Right. Well, uh, was popcorn included in that? Or is that no, that was an extra four hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> it was... Look, I know we, you and I differ on this, and you said that you absolutely cannot wait to get back into the movie theaters. You really enjoy that 100%. experience. Um, Love it. I think that there are uh, movie theaters that are excellent, um, and I think some of the work that um, AMC has done with uh, with their movie theater experience has been phenomenal with the recliner yeah. chairs. Uh, and yeah, you pay a premium for it, but you know it's not. It shouldn't be, I think, and it will never be an experience if you go to movies every week, um, you know. Uh, but I'm of the mindset that 90% of the movies that come out, I don't want to go to the movie theater for. I just to me, it's a waste of time, and I'd rather see them either at home or when we fly again to have something to watch yeah. on an airplane. And then there's that 10% that I really want to see in the movies, like Top Gun yeah. again, like James Bond. Like those are those are movies that. I want to go. I want to see them once. I'm probably not going to watch them again, but I want to see them with other people. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had the AMC Stubbs pass, so I got to watch three movies a week for twenty bucks a month. And, and that's I why was AMC like, yeah. is on the verge of bankruptcy, thanks to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they were going to offer it, I'm going to take it. But I think it. I mean, but like you know, I would if you're going to pay you know eight bucks for a matinee, thirteen bucks for a you know Friday night. You know, twenty bucks, twenty two dollars fifty, I think it was a month to watch three movies a week. I went, I went and watched two movies a day. It was great. It was, it cost me more in parking fees than it did on the tickets. It was excellent. But yeah, I think that's where we differ. I love, I love going to the to the movies, and I hope that they stay. But I, you know, I did only go to AMC or ArcLight, um, and you know, the AMC experience is really good. Like you said, reclining chairs, it's really comfy. You don't have to to kind of like squeeze your knees behind the, the seat in front of you. Right. You know what, um, from a marketing standpoint, um, it's many of the movies now, they have these, you know, very elaborate marketing tie-ins. And I just uh, wonder what is this going to do um, to those? Maybe not necessarily the, the streaming part, but more so the delays that we've seen. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but I see uh, DHL bands, uh, crisscrossing Santa Monica and they did a partnership with uh, the new 007 movie and they're essentially uh, I mean they have vinyl wrapped their vans all of them it looks like with with that promo for a movie that's not going to come out for another year it looks like <laughs> yeah so how you know what what are the ramifications of, of that because you, all of the Marvel movies um, have these kind of uh, 
sponsorships and partnerships, yeah. you know, the DC ones. So it's, it's, it's going to be a, a weird one, huh? Yeah. I mean, also like the in-movie in product placement as well. Um, yeah. So like when they made the films, how relevant is that going to be when they finally come out? I remember when, um, the, when James Bond drank his first beer, his first Heineken on, um, in a movie, people were outraged. I, I liked what Daniel Craig said about it. We said, look, if I have to pour myself out um, to a beer company so this movie gets made, I'm going to do it because I believe in the movie. So, you know, hopefully they, they can still make movies, maybe with not so much product placement, but, you know, be able to still produce the films given everything that's happening right now. Otherwise, we're going to have to watch re reruns of Parks and Rec and Shit's Creek for the next 12 months again. Not looking forward to that. Um <laughs> Um, speaking of shit's Creek, so uh, Facebook um, <laughs> seems to be up one without a paddle. And uh, actually, um, <laughs> we've learned this, um, this, this past week that um, 46 um, states, the attorneys general from those states, as well as the Justice Department, are looking to sue Facebook to take them to court. Um, on the grounds of uh, monop monopoly type behavior. And uh, the end goal is to break up Facebook, um, Instagram and WhatsApp into separate entities. Um, what I thought was kind of interesting is obviously Facebook, Facebook's defense will be based around the fact that they made those acquisitions uh, the, the big kind of players that they are. I can certainly see the point with Instagram. I can't so far see it with with whatsapp other than the data mining that they probably use it for um but the interesting thing was the reaction of the stock market to this news uh it went up and according at least to one of the articles that you and i both read um the argument there is that those entities are worth more separately than they are as part of the facebook ecosystem because they're not allowed to innovate in their own direction um and the parallel there is um is PayPal um, that when it yeah. was independent and is independent now has been a phenomenal growth story, but when it was sparked underneath eBay, um, it wasn't. So do you think we're gonna see Facebook um, broken apart like AT&T back in the day, or do you think they're gonna make an argument? I, it's, this is, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's gonna be a really interesting legal case that's gonna play out because like you said, it's, Facebook was out, you know, crushing, copying, or acquiring these companies. And they were very clear about what they were trying to do. Um, and they did buy brands for tech, strip out the tech, build it into Facebook, and discard the rest of it. Um, and then they did, you know, with Instagram, um, you know, I'd like to say with Oculus, but I've yet to see, I've seen a ton of Oculus 2 ads, and I've never seen anyone actually recommend to buy an oculus but anyway they um they they helped build these companies into the juggernauts they are today and you know by having access to all the facebook resource they were able to you know build out all the tech to you know to, to make them better um and i think another another defense from facebook is these acquisitions were all approved when they were when, when they happened back in 2012 and 2016. So it's going to be really hard for the, the entities that are trying to break them up to go back and say, that, yeah, well, you know, we may have said it then, but not now. But I think this is, this is kind of, you know, coinciding with the, 
sort of the evolution of of social media and what it means today versus what it means you know a mere eight years ago when um and how much power they have in the market today you know just from an advertising standpoint all of the money gets pumped into facebook and google because of their their targeting and and tracking and um, the ability to really really you know segment users um to individuals to to show your your, your message to and you know whether people you know who the the on the legal side whether they're able to see what that means now and that they're getting too big and now they actually have to do something about it or whether it's just like someone wants to get a promotion somewhere and is trying to take down the take down the goliath i don't know but it's going to be it's going to be a really interesting thing it's going to set precedent and you know the other the other big players google and amazon uh will really have to pay attention to how this plays out because they're going to be in the in the sites but if you've got a Congress, like, you know, like the hearings that we had recently, you know, semi-recently with Zuckerberg, and you've got these really old people asking Mark yeah. Zuckerberg how their iPhone works, like you're, in, you're, you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, I think uh, I feel like the case that the AGs will bring is going to be a lot very sophisticated. Uh, there's you hope so. Well, and you know they they did this back in the day, and not obviously not the same people, but the precedent is there uh, with Microsoft um, when they um, when they went after the uh, them back in the I think it was the early two thousands. Um, so I I think that um, I think that Facebook has uh, garnered zero favors in the last few years in the political circles, yeah. and that is going to come back to bite them hard. I think um, from what I've read, Google. Uh, who is already um, actively defending themselves might have a slightly easier time. They are seen, I think, collectively as a little bit more benevolent. Um, and it's interesting to see that Amazon, um, looking at those two, is uh, potentially going to consider uh, selling or spinning off AWS, its phenomenally profitable cloud business, as it, into its own entity to not be uh, litigated against. Yeah. So interesting stuff. I think what what really, as again, as a marketer, um, I remember kind of like the pre-days, the pre-Facebook Google monopoly days. It was so much more interesting because there were so many more destinations um, where people went for content. Um, you had uh, just different kind of, as a planner, as a media planner, I would um, routinely think about the composition of the sites that I wanted to be part of my media plan, uh, you know, was it the New York times? Was it the, you know, USA today's websites? Was it something that's, you know, was a little bit more like Buzzfeed for instance. And then at some point uh, your plan is automatically like 80% Google Facebook. And then you're just trying to, to have like vanity projects uh, with the rest of the budget, you know, for some of the other placements. I think that sucks, you know, because it's so true. It's so true. It's like, all right, social and search teams, how much of the budget can you take? All of it. Okay, how about you take 80% of it? Because I need, I, need to... I, I need my Lakers tickets. And so, like, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that's not happening I, on I Google's time. Up... No, I need to call the out of home team and, uh, and, yeah. um, and put some money that way. But it's, but it, it's so true. And it's, you know, I would like to say that you'd see, you see good homepage takeovers now on on websites i'd like to say that you see good 
programmatic and good advertising on you know on digital display but you you really don't because all of the all of the money is going into search and social well search and facebook yeah um google and facebook because it's just just targeting is is so granular because everyone is there all the time and, you know people are like oh i'm on facebook and you're like you yeah, have instagram is the same thing and messenger is the same thing and all of that is just you know mining your data to make more money from you it's funny that uh very recently, just a few months ago, behind the scenes, Facebook was being accused of making a case with the government against TikTok, who is now going to be their primary uh, kind of defense in that they will point to TikTok and say, no, we have competition. Uh, so please don't break us up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> That's quite funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I mean, I was going to say, like, what, is, what does this mean for TikTok and Oracle and is that deal still going through? But I think we've spoken about that enough. Um, one thing that I think we should, and I'm surprised we haven't done it yet, is the social dilemma on Netflix. That seems like something which would be very good um, to, to dedicate an episode to. Yeah. Um, so moving on to, I don't have, I don't have a really witty um, transition like you did. That was excellent, by the way. Um, the hotels, hotels. Um, Equinox, the beloved LA um, haunts for many of the influencers, um, they're going to launch a hotel. Um, they're going to launch in New York and LA. Um, I think the New York one is open, soft, soft launch already. Um, Houston in 2022 and Chicago in 2023. Now, I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. I got served an Instagram ad, of course, um, target market right here. Um, we, so I looked at it and I was like, just, you know, futzing around with their, on their website and they are spending, you know, they're charging 550 a night in Hudson Yards. To stay now, the, on these days? And I was like, like, like right now I went, I checked it for maybe January sometime, I don't know, or December, but like right now they're charging 550 a night to stay there. Like we're talking like premium hotel prices here to stay at a, a gym so during covid I did, hotels and gyms are the two places COVID. you don't want to go to during covid and they are the brand that's charging you so, <laughs> double so, the monthly membership so like, yeah so i don't I want to be in that business strategy meeting where they were like well no one's coming to gyms what should we branch out into i've got it hotels nailed it but i mean i imagine this has been you know many years in the making but does does Equinox have the clout to be in hospitality? Like, do you do you think it's worth five fifty a night to stay in Hudson Yards at the Equinox Hotel? It's hard to say what's worth it. I mean, it's, the, it's not COVID. Yeah, no. I mean, first of all, the price is obnoxious to begin with. But um, I read the review of the um, of Equinox in New York when it opened before we went into shutdown mode. And I think the experience they offer uh, seems to be like well thought out. Um, it's, um, you know, the reviewer was very finicky and came out very impressed. So can they execute on a hotel strategy um, as far as ex delivering an experience? It sounds like it. it. It definitely sounds like it. But is their brand, brand strong enough to support three, four, five, you know, six different properties uh, across um, across the U.S.? 
That I don't know. What I do know, though, is that the jet set, you know, the kind of the Equinox member, uh, there's probably a decent overlap between them and people who travel for business between New York and LA. And they always try to stay in a hotel near an Equinox so they can go and do their, all of their favorite classes. So I bet part of their thinking was, well, why not just capture the stay as well and offer them the whole experience as part of their, especially because they're going to be most of them expensive. No one's paying pre-pandemic these prices out of their own pocket. So they're orienting themselves at a millennial, older millennial customer who is already subscribed to Equinox, yeah. who travels on business between the coasts to Chicago. I don't know how Houston squeaked in there, but I guess Houston as well. <laughs> I can see London being their first global outpost. And uh, yeah. that's, I think that's as far as my brain takes, takes it. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this though. I've seen um, some hotels, traditional hotels, hotel chains try to pivot to become better known for wellness. So like if you see uh, Weston, I think it was Weston um, advertising for the last year pre-COVID about, you know, they offer rooms with like, you can rent a room with a Peloton bike in it. Like that's one of the things or like with the TRX system in your room. So, you know, you can rent their whole program for a few years now has been, you can rent a gym kit. So like they have a partnership with New Balance and you can uh, get New Balance sneakers and like gym shorts and things like this for like five bucks or something a day. So like, don't even think about having to travel with this stuff. So it's clearly they're going in the other direction. So I guess there is a big enough yeah. market with wellness and in all of this that Equinox, who is owned by related properties, or at least the guy who owns the largest, one of the largest uh, landowners in New York, um, they probably have a lot of experience with, ho with, with hoteling. Uh, they came to this yeah. conclusion. Yeah, no, I, I think what, what you said about the, you know, the, the, the traveler who already has a Equinox membership is looking to, to stay there. They're not looking, you know, I don't know which companies are, are letting you expense 550 night Equinox hotel stays, but I want to work there. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if, if you had, you know, a lot of people want to exercise when they, you know, when they, especially when they travel the coasts, because getting over that three hour jet lag doesn't sound like a lot. It kills you if you're actually trying to work full days. Right. So, you know, they, they have got their gym strategy around building a great experience. Like all of the locations that they have are thought through. They're not just some strip mall with hundreds of treadmills. They're very, very well thought through. And, you know, if they apply that same thing to, you know, that same experience of, you know, we're catering for a very specific audience to hotels, I can imagine that it'll, it'll pay off and you know, you know the design is going to be great. You know that the experience that you get, they'll have the Equinox instructors in the hotel. So you didn't have to go very far for your, yeah. Um, I, th I think also like workout. one of the great challenges of business travel is that you are resigned to kind of crappy food. Uh, and that's one of the things that you don't deal yeah. with over there. The food there is very healthy. It's, um, you know, allows you to kind of maintain your um, healthy eating regimen. So I think a lot of people will, will put a premium on that. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, if I could, I would. <laughs> well, um, not, uh, you know, the best example of, um, a hotelier, um, in, in, in terms of like the most success is one without any gyms or any hotels for that matter. Um, because Airbnb, mm -hmm. um, which owns nothing other than <laughs> some lines of an code algorithm. and an algorithm, <laughs> um, IPO this past week, 
uh, to the tune of a uh, hundred billion dollars, uh, making their co-founder um, Alex Chesky uh, a multi-billionaire overnight, and that is crazy. That is that is that actually is crazy. crazy to think that in the middle of the pandemic, when the valuations of all hotel chains is going down, Hilton, Marriott, Intercon, all of them. These guys are able to come in there and uh, just absolutely fundamentally rock the the market, um, and they've actually been very successful this year. People are seeking out yeah. uh, longer stays. People are seeking out houses because they believe they're going to be safer. And Airbnb, after a little bit of a dip in March and April, has just been kicking ass. Everyone, from what I've heard, every everything which is not in the city is being booked out for months at a time. So. I have friends in San Francisco who are booking out Airbnbs in Tahoe for like three months, getting and like quarantine, like lockdown quarantine with you know three or four other people to share the costs. But like people are, you know, like you said, they feel more safe in an Airbnb house than you would in a you know 60, 70, 100, 100 room hotel with the air circulation going and crossing people in the lifts. So I can I can definitely see that you know my mother-in-law has an Airbnb cottage on the property and I think they've now booked out until April. Wow. So yeah, it's like that like it's it's crazy after a dip in yeah like you said after a dip in March April maybe May, um, it's it's just been people want to want to get out of the city and they want to stay longer um, where they can you know, be out outside in the countryside. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. One of the questions we sort of posed about this particular topic is, you know, the, these marketplaces, this kind of gig economy slash marketplace uh, business model, does this, you know, does this work better um, given that it's super asset light and um, extremely flexible or, you know, is there, is there more value to, um, to owning assets? And, you know, the examples const- that we constantly hear are, it's Airbnb for hotels, it's Uber for transportation, it's like Spotify for, you know, owns no music, um, has the most listeners, that yeah. sort of thing. <clears throat> There's got to be something um, there about the culture and the values that the company has. And Airbnb is by no means spotless, but if you compare them to their um, most most often compared, um, not competitor, but I guess kind of in that similar orbit, which is Uber, um, this, it feels like there's a difference between this company being as, as kind of successful as they are with the orientation that their um, brand has taken, being more empathetic um, to the issues of both, you know, owners and, um, and people they're staying with. You know, I think as they were IPOing, um, one of the things that their founder emailed the employees about and said, the world is in a really tough place right now. Um, please exercise a lot of humility during this process. Uh, we've also set up a charitable charitable fund where you can actually deposit some of the proceedings from the IPO uh, so that we can go and help people. Now, you know, there's a lot of negative stuff that we can say about Airbnb, the model, what it does to cities, neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, they operate in that space. We'll give them this. I think that approach of like, we've learned from others. We're going to be more, uh, you know, we're going to exercise more humility. We're going to be more humble, um, more conscious of the world that's around us. I think that there is something there and um, investors, I think, see that as well. You know, they, they're seeing that this company is kind of building itself for the long haul, recognizing that they have to coexist in the partnership with society. Unlike yeah. Uber, who took a very different approach, you know, expansion at all costs, crush all the competition, screw the regulations, you know, that sort of approach, which 
has backfired since and forced them to sell off a bunch of their, you know, assets and fight constant court battles. Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right in in the approach in which they've they've taken and the how they built the company and built that culture is is you know very much like pro society and um, pro working together and togetherness and like you said, Uber is just like well we need to win at everything and you know, spend all the money that we've got to make more money and lose money. So yeah, and I, I but you know I I think it's 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 weird that. A company that owns code um, with a good culture and a, and a nice outlook is valued at more than both Hilton and Marriott combined, which, you know, yeah, they're, they're old established brands, but they have products. They, have, they own buildings. They own properties. They are definitely not the coolest places to stay, although I do like staying in the Hiltons um, that I've stayed in. They aren't, they, you know, you don't want to go to a new city and experience it through a Hilton. But then again, they've got, they have product. They own it. That is, you know, assets in the are long expensive. Term, assets are expensive. Though. Assets are expensive, but also assets make you money. You know, if they own the buildings, that's gonna, you know, that's gonna increase in value over time. Uh, except now, right? We, like, look at airlines who own all those planes and wish they didn't. Yeah. I wonder what the Airbnb for planes would be. Uh, I don't think that can exist. But you know, I um, I think that right now Airbnb is riding is riding this wave purely because they're asset light and there's they're generating demand and they figured out that that piece of it. I personally yeah. am not a huge fan of staying in Airbnbs. Um, I really don't like the uncertainty. And sure, like with hotels, you also don't get uniformity, but at least there, I sort of know, you know, if I've stayed with at Hilton's now for many, many years, it's uh, the experience is roughly the same. And if I want to treat myself and have something more unique, there is a hotel, like there's a sub brand they have for, for that. If I just want something that's functional and I don't want any, any issues during my stay, they have a brand for that. Um, with Airbnb, it's a gamble every single time, you know, and you, um, yeah also don't really save any money because they are expensive. Like at this point, I mean, yeah. not, not pandemic during the pandemic where it's been even more so, but I can't find the Airbnbs that after all of their fees that they charge that are cheaper significantly than a centrally located, nice Hilton. Yeah, no, I, no, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, I remember when the Airbnb first came out and they were, you, know, you would, you would look there first for the right. deals. Cause you could, you could pick the location you wanted they were generally cheaper than staying in a Hilton, um, but you. But yeah, you're right. Like the 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 gamble on an Airbnb every time is you know that's anxiety inducing to say you know say that least. It's like you know if it has great photography, which a lot of them do, but you know the outside of it. I I had this in Santa Monica when I went there. It's like the the it looked really nice and really big, and it was basically just a studio apartment down a small alleyway with a gate that had you could basically reach around and open so it was like it wasn't great it wasn't it wasn't a great experience and it wasn't you know that much um that much less expensive than staying in a hotel somewhere so yeah no i think you know yeah what yeah. you say was, was was spot on um in in other gig economy news um bird the 
much beloved and loathed scooter electric scooter company um they they're looking at a new revenue stream um they want to sell you a scooter to own yourself um they cost 450 bucks it's called bird air and um you know they basically are the scooters that they put out on the street but you can own it yourself it's um it's it's an interesting i mean it, it makes sense from a from a brand you know a company point of view um but from a from a consumer point of view i'm not sure i'd want to buy a, my own bird scooter when the whole brand perception is they're dinged up they're smashed up people hate them um you ride it for less than a mile and it costs you eight bucks and um and you know they're not generally seen as favorable in most cities people hate them um but you know, given they've spent years and years, and they've got, I think, Gen three scooters now. Um, they know how, what a what a good scooter is, but is that is that worth enough for people to hate you as you ride around on your bird scooter? Uh, no, and you know, it's um, <laughs> I, I actually remember that uh, in addition to Bird Air, uh, their previous scooter, which they're still selling, is called Bird One, and those are those are retailing for eight hundred bucks. Um, and essentially wow. are, are the same proposition. I'm sure that if you read about the differences, they'll try to amp up the differences between the two, but originally they were charging $1,300 for those. They discounted Sheesh. it since to 800. And now I guess they're, um, uh, introducing a lower priced one, which is the bird air, um, for a lower price point. Um, wasn't the original promise uh, of a scooter that they were just available everywhere for you to grab and ride and uh, yep. and then and then drop off wherever and go, um, solving the last mile? I think I think the, the these scooters um, when you buy them and I owned the scooter before, so and you know this. I think the most annoying yep. bit about them is when you own them, then you have to figure out how to get them from the play. You know, <laughs> carry them up. Like they're heavy. The batteries are heavy. Where do you put them? Yeah. It just kind of just becomes a hassle. Um, I don't Where know. Where do you charge them? Where do you charge them? Yeah. Um, if you leave them outside of your office, for instance, do they get, like you said, stolen? It's um, it's a Definitely. headache and a half. And um, especially because people are used to seeing birds as rental scooters. I feel like they'll even go yeah. for, for that more so. Um, I just don't think that bird has a good brand. Like, I don't think that, I think they've tarnished this brand so much with how they expanded, um, you know, in Santa Monica, when you lived here, when I've certainly like, they're a Santa Monica, like that's the, this company started in Santa Monica and their founder famously deployed a bunch of the scooters and then LinkedIn messaged the mayor of Santa Monica and says, Hey, I think we should probably talk. And, uh, you know, like that kind of arrogance, um, that visual that I have of the beach just crowded with these scooters because they just allowed everyone to take them there. And then um, in Venice canals, like people were throwing those scooters into Venice canals. They were so angry. People were chucking them into the ocean. They were so angry at like, you know, no one asked, like this wasn't a problem that they were solving. They were just literally introducing noise to life. Yeah. And so I think that, that just sucks. Yeah. I think, I think, I just don't like, like you said, the, their brand, the way they expand, they go into cities and, you know, put everything out there, you know, do it, ask for permission, you know, ask for forgiveness later. And you know, they did it in San Francisco and they got shut down so fast. But I feel like outside of Santa Monica, 
it's really hard to see a use case for them where you have um, where it's flat because they, they don't go up hills well, they don't go down hills well, um, where you're not going to get run over by a car, um, where you don't need a car to get around, and where a, a push bike, you know, pedal bike, like in London, the, the Boris bikes, in, in Portland, the Nike bikes, you know, where, where those don't solve, solve the problem in a better, more friendly way. Um, and I think, yeah, I'm, and but then also, when they first came out to get you to ride, they were cheap as chips. They were, you could get really far and it wouldn't cost you anything. We took a bird each from my apartment in Santa Monica to a brewery in right. Santa Monica, which I think was two miles, maybe ish, give or take. It was about a 10, 12 minute ride um, up. 20, 10 blocks 10 blocks or so yeah about that it cost eight dollars each we could have yep. got a uber or a lyft for half of that in half the time right and we would have got there you know safer so i don't see what the solution is now that they're trying to solve because what is the value proposition yeah yeah and it's like, and then and they are a pain in the neck for everyone walking cycling and driving you hit it on the you hit the nail on the head, my friend. Like I, I think this is one of those companies that um, I think they are trying to do whatever possible now to survive because their ridership is down. Um, I see an occasional use case for them. Uh, I can't lie, but also with all of the regulations uh, that the governments have uh, correctly put on uh, riding these scooters, that honestly no one follows, but they should. Like wearing a helmet. Do you just walk around with a helmet? Um, readily available to uh, jump onto such yeah. a scooter. And if the police stop you here in Santa Monica, that's a $400 fine. Uh, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a very that's expensive a of... uh, scooter ride that actually buys that's you the bird, very, that, that buys you the bird air right there. <laughs> yeah. But like, but yeah, but if he, if you have a, if you have a push bike and you have a helmet, cause you're sensible, you, you lock it up with the bike and, and it's there. But if you, you're not going to ride a scooter to a bar and bring a helmet with you, are you? No. Like, and, and then what? Carry it around the whole night? Get out of here. So, yeah. And, you know, they've, they've not behaved um, as a company well towards their employees. They're, they were famously very callous in, uh, during the COVID kind of the beginning stages of, of how they dismissed people over like 30 second Zoom calls, you know, 300 people at a time. So, uh, very little sympathy. Really? Yeah. Yeah, wow. as opposed to like the thoughtfulness of going back to Airbnb of how they how they did it when they had to do it. So, again, very little sympathy for this company. Um, not really interested in what they have to offer, um, but I think they're going to be unfortunately part of our ecosystem for some time to come. Alex, I think this wraps up our uh, our banter for for this week, huh? I think so. It's a good ad talk. A lot, lot of lot of topics covered. A lot of topics covered. Well, thanks for uh, making the time and I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks a lot.